0: Old life is gone, a new life has begun. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, our theme verse for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar continues the series Sufficiency in Christ, today's episode, New Life. This week spend time thanking God for all the things in your life that have been made new. That's our spiritual practice. And pray for friends and family who have not yet been reconciled to God. Use 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9 to pray for the Lord's strength and hope. If you want to watch a video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date with the Sufficiency in Christ series. We pray this message encourages you in your walk with Christ. And now... Pastor Perry Duggar.
1: Open the grave because I'm coming out. What about you? You coming out? It's time for those dry bones to start rattling. But some of you have the dry bones. That's what I'm talking about. Are you coming out? That's my question. Time to come out. (laughs) <laughs> I think she got filled with the Spirit over there. <laughs> yes, we continue our series, Sufficiency in Christ, survey of Second Corinthians. Today's message is entitled, New Life. Do you have new life? The verse that I'll deal with out of chapter 5, just to start with part of it, the theme for part of it is, The old life is gone A new life has begun. Has your new life begun? That means some changes have happened, right? So today we're going to consider what new life includes. As I said, we'll be in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians. In the book that's available here, it's page 931. A new life includes a new form. Not yet is it complete, but it will include a new form. Verse 1, for we know that when this earthly tent, what's the earthly tent? Yep. That we live in is taken down. That is when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body, made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Now, it's a little bit unusual, isn't it, to refer to a body as a house. Does that sound strange to you? Well, here's why, if it does. Because our physical bodies, first off, they're less important, they're less significant. You wouldn't know that sometimes by the way our culture pays such close attention to it. Have you noticed, though, that you cannot hold back time? Anybody, have you noticed that? I mean, I'm still reasonably well preserved, but I'm on a slippery slope. <laughs> but some of you are sliding right along with me, so, because God didn't intend for us to make this body permanent, doesn't have the qualities. Our physical bodies house our soul and our spirit. So what's important about your body is it's the house, it's the residence of your eternal soul, and it's your soul. Now, this is a little confusing. I'm going to try to pull it apart between soul and spirit. Our souls are our true personal identities. And so our souls consist of our will our mental and our emotional selves, our thoughts and our feelings. It's your personality. It's who you are. It's your essence. It's also the part of you that connects to other people. Now, for believers, it's that part of us that resides in heaven after we die In a new we're put in a new house, an eternal body. Which is what's another word for the eternal body? Come on, y'all. It's eleven thirty, y'all. The eternal body is a what kind of body? It's a glorified body. Yes. Now the soul's different than the spirit. The spirit is the immaterial part of us that connects us to God. It's also that part that expresses faith, trust, worship. So when some of you some of you got filled up this morning and some of you got filled up last week and it's that spirit that gets moved. That's not emotional if it's sincerely the spirit at work. Can you tell the difference? Are we born spiritually alive? Are we? All right, now be careful. We are not born spiritually alive, which means we are born separated, disconnected from God. Now, our culture likes to talk about everybody's connected with God. It's not true biblically or theologically because the Spirit is dead in us. And the Spirit comes alive through what process? When you're born again. And another word for that? Salvation. Regeneration. You see how that work, that word work, fits? Because you're dead spiritually. In Adam, we all died. In Christ by faith, we're made alive. Regenerated. You aren't a spirit. You have a spirit. You are a soul with a spirit. You see? Because it's the spirit that enables us to connect with God. It's the soul that enables us to connect with each other. Is that perfectly clear? What do you think, Summers? Is all clear now? You could take over from here, right? Just think about it. Think about it. I know it's a little complicated, but it makes a difference when we talk about particularly as we go into, into heaven after this life. Verse 2. We grow weary in our present bodies. Anybody growing weary in that body you're in? And we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing. So, what are you weary of in this life? Aches, pains, frustrations, disappointments, weaknesses, mistakes. What about sins? For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. See, a lot of us have this idea that after we die, we become ghosts. Ghosts that ghosts are demons. Y'all understand that, don't you? There are spiritual beings. But, but as a believer, you don't become a ghost. You don't become a naked, or in Georgia, naked spirit. <laughs> you... Will be housed in a different body, one made by God specifically for you. But we're not naked spirits. Verse 4. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. Some of y'all groaned this morning getting up out of bed, didn't you? (laughs) Because that body's not intended to last permanently. But it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life, eternal life. We become glorified like Jesus and we don't age anymore. I don't know at what age God places us. I don't know what we'll look like. God Himself has prepared us for this. And as a guarantee, He has given us His Holy Spirit. How many Christians have the Holy Spirit? Without the Spirit, you're not saved. That's what Scripture says. So if you're born again, that process happens by the Spirit, includes the Spirit, and the Spirit remains after He brings alive your Spirit. You know what I'm talking about? Are, are, are y'all? Does this sound familiar? Because you start sensing conviction. You start sensing the, the voice of God. You start being able to hear. But that comes from the Spirit that's been made alive. And so God provides believers with the Holy Spirit as a guarantee that you will receive a resurrected spiritual body when Jesus returns. Do you sense the Spirit within you? That's not the same as conscience, though the Spirit might bring conviction. Some people have no conscience, and the conscience can become seared so that it isn't, doesn't feel um, guilty over sin at all. But the Spirit of God is within you and we should be able to discern His presence because that's our assurance that we know Christ and it's a guarantee of the promise of another body. See, are all of you merely human? You merely human? People like to say that, don't they? What do you expect this of me? I'm only human. But you never heard anybody say that, have you, Jay? I'm only human. I know your friends. I know you have. (laughs) See, we do say, oh, I'm only human. I'm only human. If you're born again, you are not only or merely human, which takes away that excuse, doesn't it? I can't help myself. Oh, you can. You went into that with your eyes open. Because if you have the Spirit of God, you also have the power to resist sin. So there's a part of believers that is eternal, not merely human. Verse 6, so we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we're not at home with the Lord. Now, I said we're connected with the Lord. I didn't say we're at home with the Lord, do we? So it's, it's, it's not a perfect process of relationship. And there are times we feel out of touch from God or we feel like God is far away. that's because we still live in this body. But we live by believing and not by seeing. You can't see the Spirit. And we haven't seen proof of a resurrection, have we? Or of glorification. So we believe by faith, those are the same Greek word, that God will complete what he's already promised and has started. See, that's what faith is. We, we somehow come to this idea that faith is something we muster. And then we get credit because we mustered enough of it. Faith is more a position of weakness and utter dependence. Saying, I have God's promise and I believe it. And I'm hanging on to it desperately. Because that's the only assurance that we have that there is a heaven. Faith With the deposit of the Spirit is what we rely on. Now, you can get caught up in a whole lot of trappings that are found in this world. Big church buildings, lots of programs, all the rest of that. All of that can occur without faith. Do you know that? Doesn't have to, but you can can have a whip-snorting time musically and it may not have anything to do with faith. Can you tell the difference when it's the spirit and when it's just good music? Because there's a very definite difference. Verse 8 Yes, we're fully confident. And we would rather be away from these earthly bodies, for then we will be at home with the Lord. That doesn't show any gap in there. Anybody see in there a gap? You leave the body and you hang around somewhere for a while in cold storage. I don't believe it. I believe we die, we pass into Christ's presence. When we're away from this body, we're in the presence of the Lord. So whether we're here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him. Because the relationship has begun. So we, we start serving God the moment we know him. And we've been given his spirit so we can know him. So we can hear him. So we can sense him. We have the ability to connect with God intimately on earth. I didn't say the connection's perfect. And there are days where you feel distant, as I said. There are days you feel cold spiritually you feel like God's away he's just letting you walk by faith it's just like a child I mean I don't know where my wife is it, it seems like we blinked our eyes we didn't have any grandchildren now there's four around us but as they're learning to walk you know what you do is you you hold them by the hand but then you let go a little bit and the And you catch them before they fall. And sometimes you don't because they don't have far to fall. But God does us that way. God's not going to always hold your hand because He wants you to walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 10 For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. And we will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. So are unbelievers going to be judged? Y'all answer me, are they? Are believers going to be judged? You sure about that? Well, what are believers going to be judged about? how we use our lives now we will be we will be judged regarding salvation but we'll also be judged with respect to deeds performed while on earth resulting in eternal rewards so you know what the question i'm about to ask is what are you doing you know can i can we have a pastoral moment here I mean, after 28 years, you deserve a few, don't you? It's time to go to work. Now, I'm 63. Roland's a lot older than me. There are a few of you others older than me, not many in this room. I have never seen this culture as divided. Have you? Here's the problem. There will not be a resolution as there has been in past that we just sort of stepped aside and found some middle ground because on many of these issues, there are no middle grounds. And so our culture is in the process of getting ripped. Because of that, people are showing up at church already. A lady told me last week she hadn't been in church in 30 years. Another one told me it's been two decades since since he had been. We're seeing people, and we're you know what? They're coming from all over the country. I met someone this morning from Arizona, a family. They're coming from all over because people are unsettled. We don't know where this we don't know where this country's going economically. Morally, we know what direction it's headed. Even medically, what is going to happen? Vaccines, viruses, what's, what is going to happen? There's so many conflicting racial justice for people. I mean, immigration, I mean, everything on a, is on a collision course. There is not a resolution. So are we ready To follow Christ if the culture melts down. Well, don't say that, Perry. I didn't come up with this. Look around. And we only have one response, and that's to lean into Christ and to serve Him. We can't preserve this culture, but we can lead more to the kingdom. But what's your part? Some of us left for the virus and never showed back up. It's easier to stay home. Some of you were serving in the parking lot, coffee, somewhere with students, with kids. But it's not as convenient now. I don't know if Christ is about to come. Some believe he is. But I can say it's time to get moving. What are you doing with your life? Because God will want to know. You can look on the website, Brooklyn Church slash serve to find some place. You can go to the information desk. I'm just saying it's time for us to begin. And those of you that have been around, there are new people coming. They need to be loved. They need to be led. They need to be directed. Some aren't yet believers. Some need discipleship. Others need mentoring. There's many, many places to serve. Will you get about it? Because we can have a room full of people and nothing much happening. I don't want that to be. Will you step with me is what I'm asking. It's time. It's time for some movement. And then regardless of where the culture goes, you're serving God and ready to see him. New life includes a new function. Verse 11. Because we understand our fearful responsibility to the Lord. I don't like that translation. It's it's a nice translation. Sometimes translators, I think, sometimes lean into using words that are more comfortable to us. But the actual literal translation is because of fear of the Lord. But folks, are you know, they're, they're unsettled about that fear of the Lord. So they soften it. Fearful responsibility. But what it means to fear the Lord doesn't mean he's going to abuse you. What it means is you recognize who he is. And because of that, you have reverence. You have awe. You have respect. And if you have those feelings toward God or toward any person, it will always result in adoration, service, worship. Your relationship with God is always on display. But because of this fear of the Lord, we work hard to persuade others. And God knows we're sincere. And I hope you know this too. Remember, Paul is being attacked by these false apostles or false teachers. They're, they're criticizing him and trying to take his place and gain his popularity in the church so that they can be supported financially and followed um, in a more popular way and so these false apostles have been accusing Paul of dishonoring God and the gospel and so Paul said are we commending ourselves to you again no we're giving you a reason to be proud of us so you can answer those who brag about having a spectacular ministry again I don't like that translation but remember there's not one Greek word for one English word is how we have translations that some of us may not prefer literally spectacular ministry means take pride in appearance take pride in appearance and you know what a lot of things can look like they're spiritual that aren't spiritual at all do you believe that so Paul's saying, these folks look good. They take pride in appearance. They have this outward religious appearance. They even say these religious words. But their hearts are corrupt. They, 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 they are full of hypocrisy. If it seems we are crazy, 13 says, it is to bring glory to God. And if we are in our right minds... It's for your benefit. See, Paul's committed to spread the gospel. He's committed to honor God in doing it, regardless of how he's viewed. What about you? Paul did not try to fit in. Are you trying to fit in? Because it may limit your ability to spread good news if you feel like you have to fit in. Paul's actions weren't defensive for himself. His concerns weren't selfish concerns. He, he knew that the, the assaults on his integrity would have a negative effect on the church because he founded this church. He taught these people. So if, if these false apostles could destroy him and his reputation, it would damage, even split the church. And it would certainly stunt people's spiritual growth, which is what happens when a a leader is discredited. And so he's standing strong and really challenging the people to attack him and to prove their attacks. Verse 14, either way, Christ's love controls us. Who has a word there besides control in their translation? What do you have? Restrains. That's a good one. What, somebody over here? Compels. Now, what about that? Christ's love restrains, compels, urges us on. Do you feel like your life is compelled by Christ? What you do, the words you speak, the actions you take, Because, see, when the Spirit of God is in you, He will compel you. So, if you find yourself living in this disobedience and you've got no conviction and you seem to be pulling it off without much guilt, you need to have some discernment about the Spirit. What's going on with the Spirit? Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that all have died to our old life. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. Who do you live for? Or whom do you live for? Paul's motivation was love for others, not protection for himself. Is ours. Is our first concern ourselves. How do people think? What do they think about us? What's, what effect will this have on me? Or are we concerned most with pleasing God being compelled by the spirit within? Does Christ's love compel you? Do you know what that feels like? You know what I'm talking about. You don't even like that guy. You don't want to be nice to him, and yet the Spirit of God says, Nope, you're going to be not only gracious, but you're going to be humble. Is the Spirit of God working in you? You say, Well, I can't do that. Well, you can because the Spirit of God breaks the power of sin. So we can can live for the purposes of God. We can. Verse 16. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view, which is selfish motivations of self-centered ambitions. At one time, we thought that Christ, we thought about Christ merely from a human point of view. Now, again, I think there's a better word for human point of view. And it's the Greek word, sarx, which means flesh. Sometimes we say human point of view, we say um, human nature or sinful nature. But what it really is, is your flesh. The flesh is fallen, but the spirit is dwelling in the flesh that we're living in. The problem is this same flesh has been used for sin. And it's changed slowly. Some of us in this room had some habits, even some addictions. And they're seated in the flesh, which includes the mind and the the memory and the pain. And when you were saved, some of those addictions or those behaviors, they disappeared. Anybody have that? Anything had? Somebody, something disappeared. Let me see your hand. When you were born again, something left you that had plagued you, that you weren't proud of. But everything didn't. And so as we're transformed, we become more sanctified, which also means the flesh is more glorified. But it doesn't happen completely on this earth. But it does happen. It does happen. We still reside in the flesh. But Paul, see, he had judged Jesus according to the flesh, which he thought he was just a rabble rouser. He's just a man. He's a false messiah. And that's why Paul wanted to put all of his followers to death. So Paul persecuted him. Continue in verse 16. How differently we know him now. Remember when you knew about Jesus? You'd heard the stories in Sunday school, perhaps. You knew some information about him. But now you know him. And no one can talk you out of that fact because it's real. Do you know her? Could I talk you out of no, that you know her? Yeah. I, I know. I didn't know that, but I assume that. She's your granddaughter. How lovely she is. Could I tell you, oh, no, she doesn't belong to you. You'd say, oh, no, you've lost your mind. This child is mine. I've had her all her life. That's how we have Jesus. No one can talk us out of Christ because that relationship is real. Isn't it? It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life, it's gone. A new life has begun. Has a new life happened in you? When we're born again by the Holy Spirit, we are not the same person. We are regenerated, we're transformed, we're justified, but we're also being transformed, sanctified, so that we're becoming more and more like Jesus. You Today, if you looked at yourself, if you could see yourself objectively, you and I, should be more like Christ today than we were a year ago and more than we were five and much more than we were ten because the Spirit of God is within us sanctifying that flesh as we become more like Christ. You see it? You don't get any credit for it. It's the Spirit of God in you. But it isn't something we can resist if we know him. He overwhelms us. And we become more like Jesus in our our thinking, in our acting, in our ambitions, in our desires. You know, we had a beautiful baptism a few weeks ago. And nobody got their sins washed away in that pool. Sometimes some stuff floats on the surface, but it isn't. (laughs) But what that baptism signifies and symbolizes is that you have died to your old self self led, self directed, self motivated self. That one's dead. And then, and so the water is like you're being buried, the surface of the water. And then when you're raised, you're raised to be a brand new person. If you've got a fresh start and you're raised to be a brand new person, to live a brand new life, you're somebody different. Has a new life begun in you? Now, some of us are dragging around something we're not proud of from earlier years. It got, that did get washed away. That's gone now, turn it loose and walk away from it and walk toward Christ in service. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to Himself, who, who, it mean, which means change mutually or reconcile through Christ. Before you were saved, do you think you were at odds with God? How many do? Or do you think you just you you know had a you were at peace with God? Mm -mm. We are born at odds with God. Our culture likes to claim relationship with God, though no relationship with Christ. It's not possible. We we are at odds with God until by faith we trust Christ. And our sins are paid for. And it's Christ's Death that made peace between us and God because a war was being waged. Well, now God has given all of us this task of reconciliation. So we get to invite people into relationship with God. For God was in Christ, verse 19 says, reconciling the world. And that world means the lost world under the influence of sin and Satan. And so God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself and no longer counting people's sins against them. Whatever you still feel regret and guilt for, God would say to you, what are you talking about? It's been completely covered. It's been removed. And he gave us this message of reconciliation. Paul's calling was to present Jesus' sacrifice to everyone as the way they could be reconciled to God. But he shared that with us. So now we have the responsibility, but also the privilege to tell people how they can have a new life. But that's our new function. So we are Christ's ambassadors, verse 20 says. And that means we speak with authority on God's behalf. God is making his appeal through us. Is God making his appeal through you? And we speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. Anybody you need to call to come back to God? You have the authority to do it, and I do too. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin. Literally, again, a translation I like better here is not to be the offering for our sin. Literally, the Greek says to be sin. That's different than to be an offering for sin. Offering for sin is symbolic. This wasn't symbolic, this was actual. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. See, and those of you that have been around, but we have a lot of new people. Jesus actually became our sin. He didn't just say, oh, you can, you can beat and kill me, Father, on their behalf. He actually became our sin so then he could be punished in the exact amount due our sin. That's substitution. And again, it's not symbolic. That's how we're made right with God. See, see God had to punish every bit of our sin or he would not be what? Who said that? Mark, was that you? Somebody over here. He would not be, that was Don. He would not be just. God could not give you a pass without compromising his own character. See, we're so used to, as parents, just letting the kid, he might deserve punishment and we just, ah, I'm going to pass. Can God give us a pass? I want y'all to think about this. Can God give you a pass? No, He gave nobody a pass because every sin was punished. You didn't have to be punished for it, but Jesus was fully punished, not symbolically, fully. See, Jesus wasn't afraid of the of the spikes in the garden. He sweated blood because he was going to experience sin. Then he would be beaten and punished for that sin. God had to punish our sins, our personal individual sins, fully, completely in the appropriate amount. And through Christ's death and resurrection, God demonstrated his righteousness. The death punished our sins. The resurrection proved that God accepted the son's sacrifice. See, the word righteousness and justice, those are the same word in Greek. And so after exercising justice for sin, he could exercise mercy through forgiveness. And both are kept in balance. Mercy without justice, you don't want a judge that isn't just, do you? And gives mercy to everybody, including the guy that abused you. You see what I'm saying? We want judges to be just. But once the fine is paid, we're okay with mercy then because it shows both. God's the only source of righteousness. Only through His judgment, according to His plan, can we become acceptable to Him. When Christ takes on our sins... And by faith, see, here's where our faith is. We believe that that death of Jesus applies to me. That's the definition of your faith. You believe that was sufficient. That's what we hang on. That's what we cling to. That's all we have to tell God. When he says, why should I let you in? You say, I just believe that what Jesus did was enough. That's all we have you trusted in Jesus' sacrifice? Have you received right standing? Are you using this new life that you've received to fulfill this new function of calling people back to God? I want you to just take a few seconds right now and confirm, ask God to confirm that you have been forgiven and received His Spirit. Confirm it. Ask Him to confirm it in you. And then ask Him who you are supposed to communicate reconciliation to on behalf of Christ. Ask Him. Pray it. Ask Him to tell you, to show you a picture of who. Because new life also includes a new future. As God's partners, we beg you not to accept this marvelous gift of God's kindness or his grace, same, same Greek word, unmerited favor, and then ignore it. Any, or any of us point and saying, well, I was saved at 8, 10, 12, 20, and I've ignored it for the last two, three, four decades? See, it's Christ's death that allows us free admission into relationship with God. For God says, at just the right time, I heard you. On the day of salvation, I helped you. And Paul quotes here, Isaiah 49, 8, to appeal to these Corinthians to emphasize God's readiness to receive them when they turn to receive a new future. Indeed, the right time is now. Today is is the day of salvation. You know, for some of you here, today is the day of salvation. The invitation is out there. There'll be counselors here to receive you. And if you say, you know, I, I, need, I need to be sure about this. I need to be certain. People will pray with you. They'll talk with you. They'll anoint you with oil for healing. They'll be here as long as you need, here at the front and in the care connection room. Father, I pray that right now you'll speak to many in the room, to those that don't know you, that you would draw them to yourself by your Spirit and give them new life so they can receive a new function, a new future, and yes, even a new form in heaven. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
0: Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now, rather we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. If you haven't already, subscribe to our podcast. Thanks for listening and have a great week.